We're in Revelation chapter 11. John is told in chapter 10, the last verse, that he must write about what God has shown him in the little book, the little book that he is then told to eat. And the first thing John writes about is the temple, the yet future to be constructed temple. So let's read chapter 11 of Revelation. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses that they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands standing before God, before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have powers to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood to their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, uh, seven thousand people were killed. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly. The temple is to be built upon the temple mount in Jerusalem. There's one great problem there. The Dome of the Rock sits atop this temple mount. Perhaps... It will be built next to the temple, uh, next to the Dome of the Rock, rather, but still on the temple plateau, the temple mount. Uh, in fact, latest archaeological studies put the temple, Holy of Holies, Holies, outside of the Dome of the Rock, but that's another subject. There is an organization in Jerusalem which is called Faithful of the Temple Mount. Their goal has been to prepare and make ready 
for the temple. They're making items, uh, lavers and uh, bowls and altars and all these things that they want to set up for future sacrifice of animals. Our guide, when uh, we toured Israel, he told us that Alabama was uh, of interest to them because they had found two red heifers in Alabama that they would use in their sacrifices and only to find that one of the heifers had one white hair. So they disqualified that red heifer. So anyway, they're training this Temple Mount uh, faithful. They're training rabbis how to conduct animal sacrifice. And they're going to do it PETA-friendly, of course. That's a joke. <laughs> but consider now for a moment how the Jewish people, how they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But they're not going to reject this man, the Antichrist, that will come on the scene whom the Jews will embrace they will embrace this man because he will help them build their temple. And he will help them establish the sacrifices that they long to go back to. Jesus spoke of this man that's to come on the scene in John 5:43. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So we have the political stage being set right now today. It's things are being prepared for the great deception of this Antichrist to come on the scene. This temple, John is told to measure it along with the altar. Now, that designates, when you measure something, that designates that you have ownership of it or authority over it because you're measuring it, you're laying it out, and you're even perhaps building it. However, he's told, do not measure the outer court of the Gentiles that has been given over to the Gentiles. Could this be the outer court where the Dome of the Rock stands today, uh, which is not to be measured? Many think so. The treading underfoot by the Gentiles, mentioned in verse 2, is more than likely the second three-and-a-half-year period of the tribulation. To tread underfoot simply means to trample with contempt. The Antichrist and his followers will treat the Jewish people and Jerusalem, he will treat them with contempt that second three and a half years after he befriended them the first three and a half years. So verse 3, we have during this great time of wrath and destruction, we have two witnesses that come on the scene that are raised up by God himself. The 144,000 Jews have been witnesses, but they have been witnesses to the Jewish people, primarily to the Jewish people. These two witnesses that come on the scene will witness to all of mankind. They will have notoriety. They will be 
uh, probably on TV a lot, <laughs> the news stations or whatever. And they not only declare who Christ is and what Christ has done, but they will also declare what Christ is about to do. And they go about for three and a half years in Jerusalem and they're dressed in sackcloth. Sackcloth. It's a visible sign of sorrow, repentance, and humility. These two witnesses will be preaching repentance and will declare that the end of time is upon man and I believe thousands, if not millions, will turn to the Lord because of these two witnesses. The whole world will look upon these two with great interest. CNN, I bet, will be there, <laughs> filming probably their every move. These two men that are recognized by the sackcloth that they wear. They're given power by God, special power, um, because evil men will approach them to silence them, to harm them, and fire will proceed from the mouths of these two witnesses to destroy their enemies. Now, you only have to kill one or two this way for all the rest to get in line and respect you. You know what I mean? You barbecue a couple of them, and then the rest of them fall into line real quick. These two witnesses have power, and they're given by, it's given to them by God to close up, to shut up the heavens where there's no rain upon earth for long as they desire, probably the full two-and-a-half-year period. They will also turn natural water into blood or turn it red. Either way, it's, uh, it will be devastating to man that the fresh natural water is now red. They will also have the ability to strike the earth, and they will strike the earth with plagues, similar to the plagues that Moses called out before Pharaoh in Egypt. Not one plague, not a couple of plagues, but as often as they desire. Wow. You ever get vindicative? Mm -hmm. These two witnesses, as often as they desire. There's no restraints placed upon them. There's no limits placed upon them as to how many plagues they will call down. Will they get carried away? with their calling down the plagues. I probably would. <laughs> you know, i got all this power. I'm going <laughs> to... We don't know. Moses, when he came down from the, from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments, he saw Israel having this big drunken orgy, and he threw down the tablets of stone and he broke them. The God-given commandments Moses broke. Exodus 32 tells us that Moses' anger became hot. Translation. 
Moses is very angry. <laughs> and he's angry at his own people for their sinful behavior. Not only does Moses break the tablets of stone, but he burned their golden calf. You know the story. He burned it with fire. He ground up the calf to powder this golden calf, and he scattered it on the water, and he made the children of Israel drink the water. Moses was mad at him. Moses is reacting to the sin of God's people. These two witnesses have been given power by God to pronounce plagues upon sinful, unrepentant men as often as they desire. No restraints. It will be interesting to see <laughs> how many plagues they call down upon man. But anyway, they're agents of God. They're in an extremely sinful society. And these two witnesses are hated by unrepentant men that are still on the earth. What do you think some of the witnesses will hear from men that hate them? Why did you call down that plague upon us? Why did you shut up the heavens from having rain? They will be hated by the world at that time. Have you ever been treated unfairly? Just me? Simply because you're not part of some group or simply because you won't partake in some uh, person's sin? Darkness hates light. We have to understand that. Jesus said men prefer darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Okay, that's simple enough. And I think one of the greatest delusions that we have as believers as a whole, as children of light, I think we have a tendency to want to think everybody should love us because we're Christians and because of our Lord Jesus, when the opposite is the case. When people know where we stand, those we work with discover that we're truly Christians, usually, not every time, but usually a bitterness towards us arises. Darkness hates light. Back to the two witnesses. They're hated for being a witness of Jesus. That's who the world truly hates. Jesus. Jesus said, you will either love me or hate me. No middle ground with Jesus. And the same thing applies to us, his followers. The world either hates you or love you. How do you think these two witnesses are going to be treated by the news media at this time? Why do you think the news media presents you and I, Christians, in such a derogatory fashion today? 
I'll answer that question for you. I knew it was right on your lips. Because we're children of the light and we're hated for representing the light and we're hated because of our Lord Jesus. It's that simple. Verse 7, Satan will finally be given power to come up out of the bottomless pit and he will have power to war against witnesses and to kill them. But he can only do this in God's timing after their testimony is finished. After they have said what they need to have said, then Satan is allowed to kill them. And here's the thing, their bodies, their physical bodies are going to lay in the streets of Jerusalem three and a half days. People are going to be so happy that these witnesses of God are dead that they will not allow them to be buried to put in a grave. You're going to have two dead bodies laying in the streets of Jerusalem like trophies. Now that is sick. These dead bodies lying there, probably being abused by those that hated them. Two dead bodies, a spectacle for the whole world to look upon. Sinful man will be so overjoyed at their death that they will give gifts and presents to one another. There's going to be a worldwide holiday proclaimed when these witnesses are killed. Perhaps they'll call it Kill a Witness Day. You know, who knows what they're going to call it. But these dead witnesses cause evil men to rejoice. Because their witness has been of the sins of mankind and they have represented God in their witness. Satan and his disciples, sinful men, they rejoice. For they think, just for a moment, they think that they have prevailed against God by killing His witnesses. We know that Satan is a liar. And I think he's such a liar that he believes his own lie about prevailing against God. The evil world will rejoice. They will send glad tidings to one another because God's witnesses are dead. And they rejoice and they make merry. This is Satan's last hurrah, by the way. I think there will probably even be greeting card companies that put out greeting cards for this holiday. How would you sign a gift card because people have died? May the death of God's witness find you and your family in peace from this troubling pair. Or, rejoice, look upon the troubling two who have no tomb. 
What are they going to say? You ever think about that? They're going to rejoice. They're going to send gifts to one another. And you're going to sign a little greeting card. But Satan, in his short-lived victory, it's only a three and a half day victory. For in verse 11, we're told after three and a half days, the breath of God enters the witnesses and they stand to their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And here again, I think there will probably be TV cameras <laughs> focused on them. And everyone all around heard a loud voice from heaven saying to the witnesses, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud in the same way that Jesus ascended into heaven in a cloud. And all the enemies of God are watching these two. God is honoring His two witnesses and He's not doing it in private. No longer are the battles against powers and principalities, no longer are they being done in a secluded setting. They're done out in the open. Everything is out open and bare. The world is not worthy of these two witnesses and God is honoring them by raising them to heaven. Now, several years ago, Lori and I were in Israel, in Jerusalem, on Ben Yudah Street, if you know where that is, which is an open market street. And there was a man with long hair and a big white beard, dressed in sackcloth, and he was preaching. I told Lori, now if there were two of him, I would be concerned. <laughs> but there was only one. <laughs> Who are these two witnesses? And there's a lot of speculation as to who they are. Many believe it's Moses and Elijah. I'm inclined to believe that. Perhaps Enoch is one of the two. The important thing, though, is these two witnesses are preaching and prophesying about Jesus. Remember, John was told in 10.11 that he must prophesy, that he must be a witness to all nation, tongues, and people. You see, God always has his witness. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, when he's running from... Uh, Ahab in uh, the gal. What's her name? The, that's the one. Jezebel. <laughs> when he's running from them, he thinks he's the only witness that is left for God. But God said, hey, hold up, Elijah. I've got 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000. And I'm sure Elijah goes, well, where are they? <laughs> you know? But God notices each and every witness of His. These two witnesses, whoever they are, is not the important issue. What they preach and what they prophesy is. I believe God purposely avoids telling us who these two witnesses are. 
Why? Well, remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? He sees Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus and he says, Oh, let's build a shrine. One to Elijah and one to Moses and one to you too, Jesus. And God rebukes Peter with a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Jesus made a declaration of John the Baptist and it's probably the greatest declaration any of us could ever hear and he said there was none greater born of women than John the Baptist because John was a witness John if you look at his uh, life he never performed any miracles John was noted for preaching repentance and baptizing and being a witness unto the Lord. John was great in God's eyes because he was a faithful witness. Let me repeat that because it bears repeating. John was great in God's eyes because he was a faithful witness. There is a reaction that comes from mankind after these two witnesses ascend into heaven. There's following, you know, there's a great earthquake that destroys 10% of Jerusalem. And we're even told how many die. We're told that 7,000 die. And those who remain are greatly afraid. So afraid of what they've seen the earthquake and all the death and the witnesses and all this, that they give glory to God in heaven. So there are some here on earth that have their senses about them. The warfare and the judgments of God upon man are straight from God and there's no misunderstanding that. Everyone knows where the judgment is coming from. It is from God. It is God that is doing this to us. This is a time of God's wrath upon sinful man, and they know that it's from God. What a time. What a spectacle. Then we read verse 14, the second woe is past and the third is coming quickly. And we will look at that next week. But we're blessed to live in what we call the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, where all we have to do is turn to our Lord Jesus, repent of our sins. He takes us into our, his family and he gives us eternal life that is a great blessing that is something that should not be toyed with Lori my wife is in Spokane Washington today her dad's dying her dad is not a believer that troubles Lori greatly. 
troubles me. I pray for the man. Desire your prayers for him. We wish there was something we could do to convince him to turn and repent and turn to God. But he's a free moral agent. We don't know if he will turn. We pray for him. How we would like for him to come to his senses, for him to awaken out of his slumber before he dies. That is so critical. The thought of entering the next world, heaven or hell, to enter without the Lord, it is so sobering that you can hardly think on it for any length of time. My goodness, hell is real, and we should be doing everything we can to be a good witness. So I pray for this man. I pray for Lori's father. I pray for her family that do not know the Lord. In your prayers, if you would pray for him too, we would appreciate it. Let's close in prayer. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.